0: Today we're continuing a, a sermon series looking at the Book of Psalms. We, we began this last Sunday, and uh, today we're going to hear uh, the Word of God read from Psalm 74. Just just before that, a really quick note, um, we usually have Q&A um, after the sermon. Today we're not going to uh, because we'll have a special announcement at, uh, right at the end of our service, so we're going to make time for that. Uh, but you'll see my email on, on the slides as we go along, and uh, you're welcome to contact me if you have any questions. So, Uh, To read the word of God today, I'd like to invite Sharon.
1: Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 74. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in the forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They say to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burn all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan, and you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all day, all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Last month, McLean's magazine ran an article that was titled, Distress Call. The article is about paramedics telling their stories of what it's been like to do their job over the past several years in Canada. And I learned a new word from this article, not not new words, but a new concept, Um, code red in paramedic language. A code red is when there is not one ambulance to respond to a call in a city, because there is not one available. They're all out on calls, they're all busy. A code red is when, no matter how bad a crisis should be, no matter how bad a medical emergency, there's not one available to go and help. In cities all across our country, there have been code reds over the past year. And in our own city, in Toronto, There was a day this past January where the city of Toronto called Code Red. Six different paramedics across the country all talked about the same themes. They talked about stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, overwork, burnout, addiction to energy drinks, and caffeine pills. The names of of one of them was um, Paul Hills. He's based in Saskatoon. And he, he suffered from PTSD to the point that he almost took his own life. And he writes this in the article. I realized I needed help. I reached out to my family doctor. I got back into treatment. And my faith helped me get through it all. He said, my faith helped me get through it. I find the last line of that very interesting. In the article, there's no further comment after that. It just kind of hangs there and he goes on. But I wanna pursue that line with all of you this morning. My faith helped me get through it all. Psalm 74 is gonna help us to meditate on that. How does faith help us? How does it meet us? The voice you hear in Psalm 74 is, is personal suffering. But important to note, it's, it's personal suffering amid a national calamity in ancient Israel. Because sometimes this is, this is the experience of suffering. It is personal, but it's, it's amid a great national disaster or, or, or calamity. And we're gonna listen to this psalm. We're gonna listen to this voice and we're gonna hear together this morning what it sounds like to persevere through a a great calamity such as a natural disaster or war or a pandemic. And may the word of God strengthen us together that we may be able to persevere and say whatever our circumstances may be, my faith, my faith helped me get through it all. Two points we'll look at together this morning. Now, this is what it sounds like to persevere. Two points. First, you groan to the Lord. And second, you remember the Lord. You groan to the Lord and you remember the Lord. First, first point. Last Sunday, Tarek was preaching on Psalm 84, uh, teaching about the temple, longing for God's presence, longing to worship at the temple. To go and be there. And now, in Psalm 74, where is the temple? In this time of history, right, the psalms are not chronological in chronological order. At this time it was we read 74, where's the temple? Listen to verse seven. "They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. Where is the temple? It's a heap of rubble. It's destroyed, utterly destroyed. In the year 587 B.C., historical event, 587 B.C., the Babylonian army descended on Jerusalem and destroyed the city and the temple. And the temple, the meeting place with God, the place where where God's name dwells, the throne of God on the earth, utterly destroyed. A couple of years ago, the Art Gallery of Ontario had an exhibit entitled Mystical Landscapes. Uh, It included many paintings by Vincent van Gogh, among others, including the the painting Starry Night Over the Rhone. Now, imagine if you can, imagine a mob of the the Proud Boys organization, wielding axes, storm into the the building, destroy all the paintings and burn down the building. That's what the Babylonians did to the temple and to the whole city. The temple is destroyed and the psalm writer whose voice you hear in Psalm 74, he is reeling, reeling and and astonished and bewildered. How, How can this? How can this have happened? There's no praise in the psalm, there's no thanksgiving. Instead, there's lament, lament. That word is not in the psalm itself, but that, that, that word describes what the psalm writer is doing, lamenting. My dictionary tells me that lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow and lament in the Psalms in particular and in the Bible, lament is prayer. It's, it's howling prayer. It's prayer that is groaning prayer. It's prayer in a minor key, some have said. Jen Michelle has uh, been a member of Grace Toronto for, for many years. And she has a, a book titled Surprised by Paradox, published with InterVarsity Press. A full quarter of this book is dedicated to lament. And her writing about lament has shaped my own thoughts on this this topic, Um, and I'm, I'm much in her debt for this sermon research as well. Listen to what Jen Michelle says about lament. She says this, what could surprise someone unfamiliar with the Bible is how much space is devoted to the complaint, anger, and doubt of God's people. Lament is brooding over God's silence, his absence, his seeming indifference to trouble. Can we really pray like this? Isn't the holy, holy, holy God offended by such brutal language? Apparently not. Apparently he receives it. And Psalm 74 is kept in his word, it has its place in his word and it means to teach you, men and women, what it sounds like to pray in a minor key at a time of great calamity. In the McLean's article that I mentioned earlier, um, all the paramedics spoke about things that are needed to improve. They spoke about the need for better mental health support. There's There's a need for more trucks and more paramedics trained and raised up. There's a need for better public awareness about what paramedical services do. And I, I'm certain that all of those things are good and important and needed. I'm certain they are. But what's more, Paul Hill said in his, in his interview, he said about his own or- ordeal, he said, my faith helped me get through it all. And if you're someone today here or listening in, if you're someone exploring the Christian faith, I want to invite you to consider this. Consider that there is power in faith in this God, the God of the Bible. There is power in faithful lament to help you persevere through the long night and through the darkest valley. Now I spend most of my time at the the West End congregation of, of Grace Toronto. I don't know I don't know many of you here today, but I do know that the past two years have not been easy for you. I know that many of you, you have suffered in the past two years amid, amid not just a national calamity, but a global calamity. And what does it sound like to lament? What do we see in Psalm 74? What does it sound like? First, it sounds like this, it sounds like groaning questions, questions, because lament doesn't have the answers, lament has questions for God. Verse 1, you hear these questions, verse 1, why? Verse 10, how long, oh God? Verse 11, why? Groaning questions what else? You groan your circumstances to God in detail. That's what you hear in verses four to nine as the psalm writer goes through a kind of a catalog of all, all the things that the Babylonians have done to the city, to the temple. Wielding axes like maniacs going through the temple like a, like a forest of, of carved wood, hacking and destroying everything. And now for you, what are, the, what are the details of what you've experienced? What are the details, the painful details? You tell them to God one by one. You tell them with groaning at his feet. I have to ask, do we pray this way? Do I pray this way? This is a searching question. I find this Psalm so challenging. As I as I consider that myself and as I, I as I think about us as a congregation, my my sense, my own sense is that we don't, we don't pray this way nearly enough. Not nearly enough. I don't I don't I don't believe. I think the, the main way that we miss the mark is that we, we simply don't pray. There can be a, a stoic attitude. Life life is one disappointment after another, right? So what do you do? You just get on with it. You get on with it. What else can you do? That's, that's all there is. A stoic attitude, right? Or a bitter attitude. You had hopes. You had high expectations and God has, God has failed you. And this attitude says that I will not give God the satisfaction of my prayers. No, I will not. A bitter attitude and a stoic attitude. They're they're both understandable and they're both not acceptable. They They don't find a voice in the Psalms. No, we find something different. We find true prayer. In Grace Toronto, God is calling you to true prayer. Prayer that does where you don't you don't distance yourself from God. You don't you don't go silent on God. No, you don't you don't put on a religious mask and go through the motions. None of that. No, you go to God with your raw emotions and your questions. And in, in the midst of suffering, even even calamity, you groan your questions to God. Your questions, and you tell him your circumstances in detail. And what has happened and what is happening. You groan because, as Jen Michelle also says, prayer is meant to undress you. Where you stand before God and you're known by God in the most vulnerable way. Second point, you remember the Lord. Some of you today are in circumstances where you're asking yourself questions like, where is God? Where is God? Why, why doesn't he speak? Why is, why is he silent? You, you might be surprised to find your own questions in this Psalm in front of us this morning that we're looking at. Verse one, listen to what it says. Why do you cast us off forever? Or why do you reject us? Verse nine. We don't see our signs. There's no longer any prophet and there's no one who knows how long. What do you do when God seems to be silent? When God feels absent? Again, listen to Jen Michelle talk about faithful lament. She says this, "'Whenever it became difficult to see God in the present, These ancient men and women conjured up scenes of the past. Faith was not always seeing God in the present tense. It was often the act of observing God in retrospect. That's what Psalm 74 is doing here right now. God feels absent, so the psalm writer remembers scenes of the past, scenes of redemption. Look at verses uh, 13 to 15. Scenes of redemption. Verse 13 says, You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. And if you look up this passage in any commentary, they will all tell you that the same word used for sea monster is used to describe Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in other places of the Old Testament. So here's here's what's happening. This is a poetic retelling of the Exodus event where God leads his people out of Egypt through the sea and destroys his enemies for the salvation of God's people and victory. Scenes of redemption. What else? Scenes of creation as well. Verses 16 to 17. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the moon and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. The Psalm writer claims the whole creation as God's domain. All the created order, all of it belongs to God and if God made it all, then God has authority over it all. There is not one inch of creation outside of his authority and control. It's his to rule. Now, to summarize at this point, these are are the, the, the two claims in this section. One, God's the creator. God controls everything. Two, God is the redeemer who sets us free from our enemies. And those are the two claims. At the very time when all the evidence points the other way, points away from these claims, the psalm writer is holding on to these things. The Babylonians had had descended on Jerusalem, utterly destroyed it and the temple, and they set up their 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 own banners over the ruins of the temple with images of their gods on them. And in the face of that, what does the psalm writer do? The thing to do is to challenge experience with truth to stand in the darkness and to say the creed. Again, the thing to do is to stand in the darkness and to say the creed. And that line comes from uh, one commentator on the Psalms, John Moiter. Verses 12 to 17 form the heart of this Psalm. And that is what they're doing. They're standing in the darkness, reciting the creed of Israel's faith. That's the voice of this psalm. Closer to our own day, another example. The voice of African-American spiritual songs. Singing in the darkness. Howard Thurman is the name of an African-American scholar at Boston University and he gave a, a lecture at Harvard in the year 1947. He says this about this tradition of music. This sung faith deepened the slave's capacity for endurance. It taught a people how to fashion a hope that their environment, with all of its cruelty, could not crush. Hope in eternal justice and divine blessing sustained the African American people. And that is what you hear in this Psalm as well. that's, That's the voice as well. When God seems absent, The psalm writer looks upon his faithfulness and his character and his promises in the past. He's fortified in that vision. The psalm writer is strengthened in that vision. And that vision leads to a power. You see this in the next section. The psalm writer is fortified by that vision of God as creator and redeemer and goes to God with with tremendous energy. You hear it in the imperative verbs that finish this psalm. Starting in verse 18, listen to, just, just listen to the imperative verbs. Remember this, O Lord. Do not deliver. Do not forget. Have regard for the covenant. Let us not be ashamed. Let the poor praise you. Arise, O God. Remember the scoffing of our enemies. Do not forget. Arise, O God, arise. I want to ask, how does that tenacity come into your life? How did that happen for the African-American slaves? How did it happen for paramedic Paul Hill? How does it happen for, for example, pastors in the Ukraine right now? And for you, where do you get this faith? Where do you get this tenacity And perseverance. You get it, men and women, from listening to the man Jesus Christ. It is his voice in Psalm 74. It is his voice who lived these words more truly and more perfectly than any other human being. Jesus' life was a life of lament He's called the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The book of Hebrews says that he prayed with loud cries and tears to his father. It was typical of his whole life. Now, unlike the psalm writer in Psalm 74, the great calamity that broke Jesus' heart was not the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The great calamity on Jesus' mind and heart was the entrance of sin and death into the world and the utter destruction and defamation of this temple of the world which sin and death have wrought by the great enemy death. Against this enemy of death, human beings have no power and no hope. What the Babylonians did to Jerusalem is just an image, just a bare image of what sin and death have done to our world. And in Jesus Christ, you see the compassion of God who does not stay far away, but who comes close at hand, who comes into this world lamenting, lamenting his whole life long. And nowhere more than on the cross On the cross, you hear him groan this question from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words fill his mind and heart and he groans to the Lord, that question. But more, he remembers the Lord. In quoting the first verse of Psalm 22, it's not just the first verse, it's the whole Psalm as well that is brought in. This is what's on Jesus' mind, the whole of Psalm 22. It ends with the kingship of God restored in the earth. These are the closing words of Psalm 22. Listen to this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. Jesus endured the cross and he endured it with lament from beginning to end. Jesus was hanging in the darkness, groaning to the Lord in faith and reciting the creed of his promise. He did it for you. He did it for you who believe in Jesus. And he did it for you who do not yet believe in Jesus. Jesus suffered the death of a sinful man so that sinful men and women may not die but may have eternal life, so that you may have eternal life. And he rose from death. Three days later he rose and his resurrection is the guarantee that lament is not the last word in the story. It's not the last word from Jesus' lips. It's not the last word of the Psalms. And for you who believe, it is not the last word. The last word of the Psalms, the last word of the book of Revelation is praise. Praise and honor to our God and King. The last word is praise. And for now, We still live in a broken world. For now, we still lament. The Psalms are are calling you to learn this language of lament. They're calling you. You need lament. You need lament. You're not meant to read Psalm 74 and then close the book and lay it aside. No, you're meant to, you're invited to read this prayer, to inhabit these words, and to let these words and Let this voice shape you and shape your words and your voice and your prayer so you take Psalm 74. You take your own sorrow and pray through Psalm 74. Or if, if that's not you presently in these days, you pray for your friend who is going through what they're going through. Or you pray for the story in the news right now that moves you. Pray for Ukraine with Psalm 74. Pray for the church in Ukraine. How long, O God? Grace Toronto, the psalms are your heritage. They are. Pray these psalms. Pray the psalms of lament. Bring them into your own life and your own words. Bring them into your prayers. Let them shape your prayers and let them inspire that tenacious faith that perseveres through the long night and the dark valley to the glory of God. Let's pray then together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the many voices in the book of Psalms. We thank you for helping us to to praise you and worship you. We thank you, Lord. We, We would... We would never write the book in this way, but you know our need. You know that we need to lament faithfully and well. Thank you, you're so gracious to us, Father, to to teach us this language. Help us to receive it, help us to lay it to heart, and help us to lament to you faithfully with Jesus Christ, who is close at hand. And to the glory of your name, amen.